funding for NJ Spotlight News provided by the members of the New Jersey Education Association, making public schools great for every child, and RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together. Tonight on NJ Spotlight News, Andy Kim is looking to dethrone sitting senior Senator Bob Menendez, so it's now a scramble to see who will fill his congressional seat. I will tell you they are a um, strong, strong Democratic Party out there, um, and they know what they're, they're looking for. Plus, still missing. We want our brother back. We want something back of our brother. The family of Felix de Jesus is demanding answers from the Patterson police after he was last seen in their custody two years ago. Also severely neglected, an investigative report sheds light on the alleged mistreatment of a special needs patient in a Jersey-run group home. When she saw her family, she would rub her face and cry, but they didn't know what was wrong. And the 2024 Winter Special Olympics kicks off in the state with nearly 400 athletes going for gold. And I think that it, it allows our athletes, whether you're eight years old or 55 years old, to accomplish uh, life through the success of sport. NJ Spotlight News begins right now. From NJPBS Studios, this is NJ Spotlight News with Brianna Venozzi. Good evening and thanks for joining us this Tuesday night. I'm Brianna Venozzi. First Lady Tammy Murphy's U.S. Senate bid could be stoking resentment among some of the governor's constituents. That's according to a new Fairleigh Dickinson University poll released today showing nearly half of New Jersey residents approve of Governor Murphy's job performance, a 46 percent positive rating. But that support starts to drop after being told of the First Lady's campaign. It fell 10 points among independent voters and dropped even further among Republicans. Poll director Dan Casino says even though the governor can't run for re-election, the numbers still matter. They give Murphy leverage to get things done in Trenton, adding his wife's campaign could quickly drag him down. Accusations of nepotism have dogged the Senate race, but Murphy has stable job approval ratings among Democrats. That's the voters who matter most to him and the First Lady's campaign. Her main opponent, sitting Congressman Andy Kim, is risking his House seat to run, prompting two former Assembly running mates in his district to battle it out for the open seat. Senior political correspondent David Cruz reports. Congressman Andy Kim will vacate his seat to run for Senate, and the battle to succeed him is coming to its first milestone this weekend as Monmouth County Democrats hold their first convention to see who gets their support for the party's nomination. The conventional wisdom is that Assemblymember Herb Conway has the support of most of the party's electors. His primary opponent and Assembly partner, we should note, Carol Murphy, says the party line, which we should also note she's run on before, is not working for democracy. We should not be in a position where we're pitting Democrat against Democrat. It should be all, and this is what I've been advocating for, everybody in the same column come primary and let the voters pick the person. Conaway says as long as there's a party line system, he's going to compete in it. He's grown up in that system and says he's okay with fellow Democrats making the choice. 
it's a record of accomplishment. Uh, but but I started out just like anybody, any person who's in their 20s uh, who wants to get involved in this system, the door is open. Uh, you can run for office and county committee if you wish, and you can get you can become an elector for, of the Democratic Party in your jurisdiction, and you can work your way up as I did and get to know people, do politics. This is about politics after all. In a way, this race is similar to the Senate primary in that the establishment candidate, Tammy Murphy, is getting all the institutional support and the challenger, Andy Kim, is trying to buck the system. This Murphy waves off the comparison, but notes that having Burlington County Chair Joe Andel endorse Conway was not very sporting. He's been friends with her a long time, um, and I think him coming out was um, not the right thing to do, regardless of the friendship and donating to his campaign. I think it was wrong as well. Um, because we both are sitting assembly who work on the Democratic Party, who is part of the Democratic Party. And this has been the problem, you know, not only in Burlington County we face, but also a lot of places where people are tired of feeling that the, um, the, the, the Democratic weight is not working because it's always biased on one side, depending on who you're friends with and who you're not friends with. Cal Murphy is pretty uh, formidable and people always want to diversify yeah, uh, delegation with women, but I think that um, what Conway Conway has has had a long career. Uh, he's both a doctor and a lawyer. Uh, his credentials are impeccable. He's been a loyal Democratic soldier for years. Murphy, who's no newcomer, having served as chief of staff to two assembly members, says you shouldn't count her out, regardless of who in the establishment is backing Conway. I will tell you, they are a um, strong, strong Democratic Party out there, um, and they know what they're they're looking for. And I think knowing that being the first woman that would represent Mammoth in congressional office right now um, is appealing to a lot of the women that are out there and the men who support those women. You appear to be the establishment candidate, no? Well, I have a long record of service uh, for um, my state here in New Jersey and my country in the military. And so um, if that makes me establishment, then uh, then so be it. This used to be a more conservative district, but Kim's success and some favorable redistricting have made it much more blue, meaning that the winner of the Democratic primary is likely the next member of Congress from Congressional District 3 which will leave at least one vacancy in Assembly District 7, which you don't have to worry about because the party bosses will take care of filling it. I'm David Cruz, NJ Spotlight News. This month marks the two-year anniversary since Haldon man Felix de Jesus went missing. He vanished on a February night after Patterson police detained him on a disturbance call, then allegedly dropped him off at a park near a river. No one has seen de Jesus since. As senior correspondent Joanna Gagas reports, the family is still desperately searching for answers, but not giving up hope. We want our brother back. We want something back of our brother. It's been two years since Haldon resident Felix de Jesus disappeared after being in police custody in Patterson. His brother Giovanni de Jesus says the family has no more information today than they did when he didn't return home on February 2nd, 2022. These two cops was the one that arrested my brother that night, hurt my brother because my brother was hurting. He was saying his arm was broken, so they should have took him to the hospital. Well, fortunately, they did not take him to the hospital. They just dumped them in the park. 
and a freezing cold night. De Jesus was inebriated that night and was detained after a disturbance. The officers were Jacob Feliciano, who'd been on the force less than a year, and Dodi Zorio, who was his trainee. The family obtained body camera footage only after the Haledon police opened an investigation, but it's incomplete. It starts with De Jesus on the ground saying his arm was just broken, and the officers turned their body cameras off before allegedly dropping De Jesus off at Westside Park near the Pacific River on a code blue night wearing nothing but a t-shirt. Police say five witnesses saw him at the park. They haven't even identified them to the family. There's no video footage of any of these so-called witnesses. So we don't know if they were homeless people or who they were. We don't have no proof that they dropped them off. There's no proof. The only proof that we have right now, them putting them in the back of the car. The Patterson Police Department suspended each of the officers for 90 days, although Zorio challenged that decision before the New Jersey Civil Service Commission and was given 88 days of back pay because he was a rookie trainee at the time. The De Jesus family points to the numerous family connections that Officer Feliciano has within Patterson as a reason why they've heard nothing further since since their brother disappeared. His stepfather is a judge. You know, his mom worked in the police station. You know, he got Patrick Merrick, like his uncle, working in the fire station. You know, Mike Jackson, actually one of his counselors, he, he was one of the ones that was helping us out first, but fortunately he found out that his cousin was involved, so he didn't want to get involved no more. In the two years since De Jesus disappeared, the Patterson Police Department's been taken over by the state and attorney general's office, but the family says that's offered them no help. The attorney general, they, they're saying they're doing an investigation on it, but unfortunately it goes step by step, so we can get involved in that. Attorney General Matt Platkin declined to comment on the investigation, but offered a statement saying the office continues to investigate the disappearance of Felix De Jesus and has led searches along the Passaic River, saying they're working with several departments, including the Office of Public Integrity, the New Jersey Division on Criminal Justice, and the Patterson and Haledon Police and Fire Departments. Corey Teague is a community activist who's now working as a community advisor to Patterson officer in charge Issa Abasi. It's a new position created as part of the state's takeover to improve the relationship between police and community members. He continues to call for transparency with this case. The main focus is to get Felix back or to get answers as to what happened and why people weren't held accountable. So right now, I don't, I don't think the family is even really concerned with the changes. And I don't blame them because their situation has not been resolved yet. There has to be some answers for this family. We pray to God every day, every day, like something pops up, because what is done in the dark comes to light. Giovanni de Jesus says his brothers, his mom, and Felix's kids have suffered immeasurably over the last two years, but they won't give up the fight until they finally have answers. In Patterson, I'm Joanna Gagas, NJ Spotlight News. In order to serve in law enforcement in New Jersey, you'll now have to hold a valid active license issued by the state's Police Training Commission. The new requirement went into effect last month, adding New Jersey to a list of more than 40 other states with the same mandate. Some 40,000 police officers here have to comply to keep their jobs. Advocates say it was designed to build public trust and confidence in law enforcement. But as Ted Goldberg reports, one requirement involving officers' social media accounts is still up for debate. Anyone who wants to become a police officer in New Jersey could face a unique hurdle the things they post on social media. If you're putting out biased content onto your social media platforms, that, that can impact your ability to serve the residents of this state, and you can be held accountable for that. 
The Police Training Commission gives out licenses for police, and if proposed rules are accepted, licenses could be revoked for posting, sharing, or commenting on content that supports, quote, hatred or bias toward individuals or groups based on race, creed, color, national origin, ancestry, sex, marital status, sexual orientation, gender identity or expression, or any other protected characteristic where the conduct or behavior would undermine public confidence in the ability of the individual law enforcement officer. Attorney General Matt Placken says this policy sets apart New Jersey's law enforcement officers from those in other states. I am confident that this is the right thing to do to ensure that the public has confidence in our law enforcement. And I think this provision in particular is going to set us apart as setting a national standard. We're very close to a place that we can live with, and we think that, that it protects the right amount. The rules are in the middle of a 60-day public comment period that runs until mid-March. Kevin Lyons works for the state's PBA and serves on the Police Training Commission. He says the rules are a good compromise, considering earlier drafts required recruits to share data from banking apps and their Amazon accounts. We want to protect people's private lives to some degree. If they're in a LBTGQ group chat, that's not something an employer needs to know. A group chat would have been considered social media. If there is a reason for access, go get a subpoena for it. Lyons has concerns about how the rules will be interpreted, but he also thinks the rules will help the hiring process for police. Nobody's saying that if an officer has a swastika on their front page of their, their uh, Facebook page, let's say, that that officer shouldn't be scrutinized. We don't want those officers. It's important to make sure that the officers we're hiring to police us all, right, a, a diverse society, don't inhabit these types of biases. Jason Williams is an associate professor of justice studies at Montclair. I think agencies ought to check, right? It ought to become part of the background check. He thinks the rules will help departments identify problematic people before they get hired and become a bigger headache for their superiors. I think it's better that they weed these officers out from the outset, right? Rather than allowing them to come on into the agency and then now you have this problem snowballing and then you, you only deal with it once something materializes. Some people have argued this violates freedom of speech. Lyons mentioned courts who have ruled that while people have a First Amendment right to speak their mind, that doesn't mean they're free from consequences. And the First Amendment doesn't guarantee you the right to be a police officer. Law enforcement officers have a restricted First Amendment right. And, and we realize that when we take the job, we don't love it. You know, we, we're still human beings. Uh, but, but at the same time, we want to make sure that the, the public's trust is, is, is assured. Attorney General Placken says New Jersey's licensing bill is the strongest in the country. We'll see if the social media policy is altered when the public comment period ends next month. For NJ Spotlight News, I'm Ted Goldberg. Across New Jersey, thousands of people with developmental and intellectual disabilities live in state-licensed group homes, putting their care and needs into what are expected to be capable hands. But what happens when something goes wrong? A new investigative report from NJ Advance Media looks at a case brought by a Central Jersey family suing a special needs center over allegations staff abused, mistreated, and neglected their daughter. As reporter Sue Livio found, the family expected the state to hold those responsible accountable, but two years later, they're still waiting. Sue joins me now. 
Sue Livio, we appreciate you sharing your reporting. Obviously, this is a very sensitive topic for this family. What specifically in their lawsuit are they alleging happened to their loved one? The mother is alleging that her daughter, Leah, um, 18 at the time, was not provided the medical care that she needed to keep healthy. She has a condition that causes severe acid reflux. Um, she is <clears throat> disabled enough where she needs people to give her her medication, to brush her teeth regularly with medicated toothpaste. They're alleging for a protracted period of time that none of this occurred and that her teeth rotted so badly that her nerves were exposed and that um, by the time that she was seen by medical professionals, none of her teeth could be salvaged and they were all removed. In addition to that, as you wrote, there were pictures shared where this young woman, Leah, was uh, so malnourished, it appeared, that her ribs were clearly visible. Um, there were allegations that she was locked in her room at the group home. Uh, rope tied to the nearby stairwell, the banister, to keep her in there. What happened when the family reported these instances to the police, to the state? Well, um, the Ocean County prosecutor took a complaint right after she was removed from the group home. She was evicted on February 2nd, 2022. The prosecutor investigated or two weeks ago, told mom that there was not enough information to bring criminal charges, but that the case remained open. Your investigation, though, showed that there were medical records, there were text messages that uh, staff members who asked to be kept anonymous shared with the family. That was not enough for the state or the prosecutor's office to substantiate her allegations? Uh, apparently not. The, um, and the, the medical records were quite blatant, saying that there was no other explanation where she could, that could explain her loss of teeth, her weight loss. She's a nonverbal disabled young woman, could not express her pain aside from acting out behaviorally, being difficult. Um, when she saw her family, she would rub her face and cry, but they didn't know what was wrong until a visit um, in January of 2022, where her sister was bathing her, and that's when they took that picture where they saw her ribs were exposed, that they could see how malnourished she was. Is this case indicative of a larger problem within the system? Is that a reach? I mean, what does the state say in response to this? So there is an ombudsman's office for people with developmental disabilities and their families. And while the ombudsman is not commenting on this specific case, um, there is a larger issue, according to that office, about um, having there being a very high bar for the Department of Human Services to corroborate and to substantiate abuse and neglect. Um, I've 
covered these issues for many years. This is something that I've heard repeatedly. Leah's story was particularly egregious, but it is not alone. Sue Livio is a reporter for NJ Advanced Media, NJ.com. Sue, thanks for your great reporting. Thanks for your interest. In our Spotlight on Business report, New Jersey is strengthening ties with one of the world's fastest growing economies. Governor Murphy today signed an executive order creating a New Jersey-India commission that will encourage trade, economic development and educational exchanges between the two. The administration says India is the Garden State's second largest foreign direct investor. New Jersey is also home to a large number of Indian Americans and immigrant families. The partnership comes after multiple economic mission trips to India, the first by Governor Murphy in 2019 and most recently by the nonprofit Choose New Jersey a little over a month ago. Murphy says his initial trip sparked a close relationship, helping to secure some 1,200 new jobs here by expanding the presence of three three Indian companies within the state. The commission will be made up of between 35 to 45 members, all appointed by the governor. And today, the Garden State is not only home to a thriving economy that specializes in many of the same categories as India, but we are also home away from home for roughly 400,000 Indian Americans, including thousands of immigrants, who are keeping their proud family traditions alive right here in New Jersey. On Wall Street, stocks lost steam today as investors continue debating whether an interest rate cut is on the horizon. Here's how the markets closed. They're dedicated athletes with a passion for their sport and a penchant for fun. The 2024 Special Olympics New Jersey Winter Games kicked off this week, hosting nearly 400 athletes of all abilities. The events range from snowshoeing and speed skating to skiing and snowboarding. And while participants are gunning for those coveted medals, the athletes remind us real victory comes from being brave in the attempt. Senior correspondent Brenda Flanagan has their story. Three, two, one, go. You got this, Jake. Stay low. Yes. Fourth grader Jake Carum conquered the giant slalom slope for intermediate skiers while his coach cheered. We're super excited to be here. Union City teacher Kristen Sosa is a volunteer at Special Olympics New Jersey's Winter Games. Some 90 athletes with intellectual disabilities spent two days competing here on the slopes at Mountain Creek Resort in Vernon. 38 students from Union City participated and Sosa helped Jake train. He says falling is okay. If you don't fall, then you're like here, then you're not trying. It has been an amazing experience. We went from day one and two of practice of barely being able to get his boots on to now taking this hill pretty much like a pro. We were super proud yesterday because one of our students was chosen to light the torch. Lighting the torch kicked off this year's Winter Games in venues across Sussex County where almost 400 athletes vied for medals in skiing, skating, snowshoeing, and more. They vary widely in age and ability. Everybody gets encouragement and support, says CEO and President Heather Anderson. And I think that it, it allows our athletes, whether you're 8 years old or 55 years old, 
to accomplish uh, life through the success of sport and, and working on abilities. And it's a very positive experience for them. They're competitors. Go Sam! We do it because it's fun for Sam, and we enjoy it. We've been skiing our whole lives. Steve and Lee Ellen Pizarro brought their son Sam to compete. He won a medal, but also to socialize. He can communicate with other kids his own age and his own disabilities, and it's great. It is a lot of tears and tons of goosebumps um, for all of us. Back in 1969, New Jersey sent just a handful of athletes to the Eastern Regional Special Olympics held at the University of Maryland. They had very little in the way of training or equipment. Things have changed. He has just flourished and grown over the years through the kindness of you know volunteers, coaches, sponsors, law enforcement. So yeah, I mean, today is just, it's, we're celebrating the success of 55 years in the making, but the success of our athletes and, and what they show, what they can accomplish and focus on ability and not disability. The organization rolls year round with more than 20,000 athletes competing in every season, funded by an $11 million budget, all of it donated. Ceremonies awarding gold, silver, bronze, and participation medals make sure everyone's included. Jake sat patiently and watched the athletes honored with music and medals, and then they called his name. He solemnly took his place on the podium. Number 19, receiving the bronze medal, is Jake Carroll. I didn't necessarily expect the medal, because honestly it's more about the experience, but the fact that he got one is just the icing on the cake for us. We don't have to really care about it. We care about if we have fun stuff. Did you have fun? Yes. And he later scored a gold medal. Jake says he'll be back next year. In Vernon, I'm Brenda Flanagan, NJ Spotlight News. And that does it for us tonight. But you can join me and a panel of experts for a live NJ Spotlight News virtual roundtable looking at New Jersey's climate future, the science, the politics, and the planning for storm flooding here in the state. That's Wednesday at 4 p.m. To register for the event, you can head to njspotlightnews.org. I'm Brianna Venozzi. For the entire NJ Spotlight News team, thanks for being with us. Have a great evening. We'll see you back here tomorrow night. NJM Insurance Group, serving the insurance needs of residents and businesses for more than 100 years, and by the PSCG Foundation.